Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Sobering news during this National Nursing Week. Two thumbs up to a volunteer group at Gore Park. Charles is finally king. What is the Liberals' national game plan? And music megastar The Weeknd wants a slice of the NHL. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. New poll out of registered practical nurses... And it finds that 60% of them, that's 60% of nurses, are ready to quit. And that's up from 34% in 2020. And, well, when you look at the situation, you can't blame them. They're looking at burnout. They're looking at you know, lack of backup staff, support staff, other nurses helping them out. And, well, throw in a lack of pay or at least a a pay rate they're not entirely happy with. And you can understand why they are ready to throw in the towel. This poll was done uh, with QP and the SEIO, SEIU, pardon me, Healthcare RPNs. And it comes as St. Joe's is now conducting an internal investigation. They're trying to figure out whether or not staff are refusing to take on overtime and whether or not staff are making coordinated sick calls. We can drive down wait times, but not with privatization and not by continuing to exploit exploiting registered practical nurses we can do it by fixing the working conditions for registered practical nurses in Hamilton and all across the province. That is the voice of Jackie Walker, the president of the SEIU Nursing Division. Joining us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Sharon Riche, the secretary-treasurer of the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions. Sharon, good morning. How are you? Good morning. We Thank are, you very much for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. We're celebrating National Nurses Week this week, although it sounds like nurses are not really in a celebratory mood. How would you describe the situation? Very much uh, the way uh, it's kind of a bleak situation out there. Um, our nurses are really upset, so upset that, you know, six and ten um, RPNs are considering or thinking about considering leaving their profession, which is very scary when you think about how much um, hospitals um, rely on RPNs to provide care for patients. I mentioned St. Joe's in the intro. I mean, that, that's not the only hospital or healthcare facility in the province that is, uh, you know, in, implied in, you know, not beefing up the number of nurses, not paying them enough money. This is this is a province wide or maybe even nationwide thing. It is absolutely uh, uh, provincial-wide, but we're seeing it all over um, the world. Um, you know, our nurses are asking for a minimum of $35 um, per hour um, um, to do the care that they provide. And, you know, our government is turning a blind eye, which is not helping um, certainly recruiting or retaining the staff that we currently have. When we look across the province, um, the British Columbia government just brought in 70 changes um, for for um, nursing. And one of the changes that, um, you know, our staff would be uh, grateful for would be obviously to increase their pay, but um, looking at safer nurse to patient staffing, as well as, you know, supports for um, things that they need. You know, in our poll, um, we we looked at a multitude of things. We talked to them about working short. 53% of them say that they work short almost every single day. Um, and four in 10 say that they are covering registered practical nursing shifts on units almost every single day. In regards to the pay, you mentioned a, you guys want a minimum pay of $35 an hour. What is the minimum right now? 
Um, the minimum is 31.18 that they make, and they're doing about 96% of what a registered practical nurse does in hospitals. So this is a bit of a double-edged sword, because if you're asking for more money, administrations or the provincial government will say there's only so much we have. This, If we pay nurses more, we're not going to be able to hire other nurses to kind of help with, well, the burnout factor. Well, if if we actually go back and we look at um, what the Conservative government has been saying, they've actually underspent the budget for healthcare care um, last year by over a billion dollars. So there is money um, to pay and retain the, the, the these profession, registered professional nurses. Sharon Riche is the Secretary Treasurer with the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. What is going on at St. Joe's? Obviously, nurses are, are are taking a stand. Are they refusing to take on overtime? Um, well, I what I do know that's happening at St. Joe's is there is an active investigation um, that is going on. But if we extrapolate our poll of um, a thousand nurses that we just did a nanos poll with, um, we can. Um, kind of look at what is actually happening. 81% of the registered practical nurses are saying that it is um, high stress levels within hospitals and they're working really, really hard. Two out of five RPNs are feeling depressed and, you know, um, over 60% of them don't want to go into work. So if you take a look at this particular poll that we just did and you look about what's been happening at St. Joe's Hamilton, you can see see um, that, you know, these nurses are overworked. Um, they do not feel like, um, um, you know, uh, they're committed to their job, but they just don't feel like, um, you know, anybody cares about them. We have the provincial government giving PSWs a 2%, a $2, excuse me, a $2 wage increase. Um, and uh, these RPNs who have worked through the pandemic and these PSWs deserve the $2. Don't get, don't get us wrong. Um, but, you know, these registered practical nurses deserve money too, and they have been left out. Sharon, thank you for your time and uh, good luck with this fight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sharon Riche is the Secretary Treasurer of the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. National Nursing Week comes, uh, well, really at a time when nurses feel that they're being put through a meat grinder. There's a new poll out from QP and SEIU that shows that 60% of nurses are ready to quit, and that is up from 34% in 2020. That's more than 36,000 nurses who are on the verge of walking away for good. Diane Martin is a registered practical nurse and the CEO of the Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Diane, good morning. How are you? Good morning to you. I'm great, thanks. Boy, these poll results are certainly troubling. Yes, we've um, been watching the trends uh, for several years and we already know the results from speaking to nurses on a daily basis that nurses just feel brokenhearted at what they face at work every day and um, for their own good uh, they're thinking of leaving this poll found uh, about seven in ten nurses feel patient health is at risk that is it sounds like a reality yes so when you when you speak to nurses they can tell you in small ways and large ways in which patient care is compromised to the point that it doesn't resemble what they are 
educated to give and what they're in the profession to give. And I think that's the biggest um, a problem with getting up in the morning and facing the job that they have to do uh, for that day. Well, because part of the worry is, uh, listen, I might be alone doing something for who knows how many hours and I don't have backup or I don't have support staff to look after all the patients I need to and give them the care that they need. If you can imagine nurses who know that they are working shorthanded, um, having to make decisions, what is it that I'm going to do today? It's and they know that what the things that will be cut out of what they're literally able to do will be things that matter to patients a great deal or that can impact a patient's wellness a great deal. It's a very demoralizing environment and process. So is it a case of nurses having to, because this is their only recourse, having to provide the minimum level of care? Oh, of course. I mean, that that's exactly the decision-making they're, they're doing. Um, meeting the needs of people at a very basic level. Normally, we have a role where we can sit with a dying patient and make sure that their wishes are, are followed. Um, we're able to support families and through a terrible process in that that uh, circumstance, we are able to help families uh, with a new baby you know, really know what they're doing before they're able to go home. Some of these things have fallen by the wayside to the point where nurses go home each day. And instead of going home feeling like they've made a difference in someone's life, they cry all the way home. Um, it's not unusual for nurses to, to uh, have what they call now, like they're crying in the car. Um, it's kind of a, a phrase that they use. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Diane Martin, RPN and uh, CEO of the Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario. We're talking about uh, National Nursing Week and how many nurses are uh, really feeling the pinch in more ways than one. Short staffing, not enough pay, uh, burnout, uh, increased stress. Uh, I, and I would imagine that this is happening not only in hospitals, but other healthcare settings like long-term care home facilities, for example. So long-term care homes have been particularly hard hit. Um, it's uh, one of the less well-paid areas uh, sometimes in nursing and also home care. And um, not that there are any good paying positions really available right now. And, and, and we're really hoping that the government will hear the unions and do something about that. But um, each, each area where nurses work is really very much struggling. You mentioned home care, and we know that the you know the the maddening opening months, if not a couple of years of the pandemic at long-term care facilities, I think really opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that I'd rather age in place, I'd rather stay home as opposed to go into an LTC. And given what you just said, there seems to be a lot of heavy lifting that needs to be done to improve, well, the whole, the whole, whole uh, home care system. So what's really interesting about home care, um, patients love to be in their own homes. They're running the show in their own homes. Nurses love to go into people's homes and work out with patients what needs to be done, assess them in their own environment, come up with solutions for for areas where they're suffering, and it costs substantially less. And so um, 
it really is time to break down the barriers between different sectors of healthcare and move towards having people where they want to be as much as possible and say and save taxpayer dollars while doing it keeping nurses very happy paying nurses appropriately it's probably the least um you know regular pay like they're paid per visit regardless of how they um, go to the people's homes um there's a lot of work to be done there but it is would be so rewarding to patients, nurses, everyone, if we would do it. Yeah, there's uh, there a lot needs to be done. I don't need to tell you that, Diane. I appreciate your time this morning, and uh, hopefully you can enjoy the rest of National Nursing Week. Oh, we plan to. We're going to do lots of work to say thanks to nurses this week. Excellent stuff. Thanks, Diane. Okay, bye-bye. Diane Martin is a registered practical nurse and the CEO of the Registered Practical Nurses Association of Ontario. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We know that in this city, there are a bunch of people who volunteer their time. And what they get back in return is, well, is a good feeling, knowing that they've helped the community. And this one fits this to a T because every Saturday there's a group of volunteers that head over to Gore Park. And what they do is, is they deliver free food to those who need it, the less fortunate in our community. And one of the people behind this is the coordinator of this group called Gore Park Outreach. And his name is Jeffrey Ng, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Jeffrey, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. How did this all start? Well, it, it's uh, <laughs> it all started actually just by accident. It's all um, during the COVID era. Um, I left the corporate world in 2015 because I just got tired of traveling. I needed to change, so I got myself involved with different um, local charities. You know, helping uh, primarily the marginalized uh, members of our community. And one day in February of 2021. Uh, it was really cold. I was on my way home. I was stuck in traffic on on King and Houston. <laughs> so I, I just, you know, just on the corner of my eye, I saw, you know, some tarps just flapping in the wind, right? So I didn't think much of it. So I, you know, and I said something, something in me basically said, hey, look, just, just drive in and check it out. So, and I did. And I was just shocked, Rick, by, by, by what I saw. Um, I saw rows and rows of people literally covered in snow. Um, they were cold. You know, uh, I basically just, you know, approached them and says, listen, you know, how can I help? And most were, were hungry and they were very cold. So and unfortunately, I couldn't do anything that day. But I reached out to six of my friends and, and we just, you know, basically said, you know what, let's do something. And you know, the following Saturday, we showed up you know, with, uh, you know, just, just something basic, right? right? Something simple, you know, butter and jam and a pot of uh, chicken noodle soup. Wow. And that was uh, February 2021. And fast forward to, you know, May 2023, this thing has morphed into something pretty, pretty incredible. We, Rick, we actually, we hit an all-time record this past Saturday. Uh, we, we, we welcomed 560 people. We, we practically, we, we, <laughs> we, ran, we pretty much ran out of everything every week. But this past Saturday, 
was just unbelievable. I, I took pictures. The lineup was just insane. It went all the way from Jane Street down to Main Street. And we actually finished early because we ran out of supplies. So we had to apologize to a lot of people that are just kind of waiting in line. And, you know, again, we were, we were not expecting that many. But, again, it goes to show you uh, of, of the many needs of our community. And, you know, being a not-for-profit, uh, all-volunteer charity, we, we rely on the kindness of people. So are you are you accepting donations from people? Is that how that works? Absolutely, absolutely. We're we're, we're making a we're making a call out actually to 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 our community. We are in need of desperate help. Um, we are looking for some some basic supplies like food. But one of the things that we really really would love to and and because we 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 don't get grants we get nothing we we get you know we we actually partner with many people uh churches schools and so on and so forth we're really looking, looking for a partner within the community that can provide us with a little storage space as well and I'll tell you why Rick because you know we've been contacted by different manufacturers and you know they they do have volume for us they can say Jeffrey you know I I can give you like six pallets of this 10 pallets of that Unfortunately, we, we, we just don't have the space to put it, and, and it, it, it saddens me because if I have the space, I would be able to, just like this past Saturday, I would be able to provide additional um, supplies to people that, that are in need. So how can someone who might have this space contact you to say, hey, let's partner up here? Yeah, they, they, they can contact us through our website. It's goreparkoutreach.ca. Uh, they can just shoot us a, a, a quick email, and we would love to talk to anybody and everybody. Um, you know, again, <clears throat> when we first started, our, our focus was primarily the homeless people around Gore Park. But today, uh, we welcome people for all, from all walks of life, you know. Like 80%, and this is the shocking part, Rick, 80% of the people we serve today falls under the category of seniors, uh, people with uh, physical disabilities, family with kids, and basically students from the local area. And the other 20% are people living in shelters and and people living on the streets. It's very disturbing to hear, but I will say this. It's people like you, Jeffrey, who rise to the occasion, who are driving home from work one day and get that feeling in the pit of their stomach to say, listen, it's, it's time to do something. It's time for me to make a difference. And you're making a massive difference. And I'm sure if there's someone out there, especially that has a space for you to, you know, compile everything and, and house those supplies, or maybe even to donate more food, uh, goreparkoutreach.ca is the website to go to. Jeffrey, thanks for your time. Uh, congratulations on all you've achieved. I know you want to do more, and let's hope uh, the community can rise to the occasion as well. Thanks for the time today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Jeffrey Ng okay. is the coordinator of Gore Park Outreach. Again, online, goreparkoutreach.ca. You can also check out their Instagram page at Gore Park Outreach. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the coronation of King Charles III was held on Saturday. The Pomp and ceremony captivated millions of people in England and, uh, well, here in Canada and and certainly around the world, from official public events to uh, watch parties in pubs here and overseas. It was certainly a memorable coronation, certainly for the new king and for those who had a front row seat 
as well. Nathan Tidridge is a grade 10, 11, and 12 civics teacher at Waterdown District High School, vice president of the Institute for the Study of the Crown in Canada, and joins us now on GMH. Nathan, good morning. How are you? Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm good. How would you describe what you saw on Saturday? You had a front row seat. Uh, yeah, I was at uh, Canada House, the High Commission. It was, uh, I mean, it was it was a historic moment uh, and a really powerful moment, I think. Um, so I, I felt really privileged to be there. The coronation itself was steeped in tradition. What was the mm -hmm. highlight for you? Well, I mean, I think it, it, seeing something that you've read about, because I think for most, well, actually, no, for most people, this is the first coronation that they witnessed. So you read about it in the in the history books and you've seen the photographs, but to actually see it enacted before you, it, 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 it's pretty extraordinary. One of the highlights for me was watching the different military regiments, including the RCMP who were there, um, take yeah. part in the procession from Westminster Abbey to Buckingham Palace, and especially the hip hip hooray that they gave to the new king. Uh, yeah. For me, the procession was a remarkable sight to behold. The, the the two million people lining the streets, of course, the the carriage and the horses and the military. What was that like for you? So I so I was at the High Commission and uh, and I was sat with uh, the Indigenous delegations that were there. And there was a, a large contingent from Manitoba and Alberta, and uh, and for me, it was really significant to see uh, the witnessing of a ceremony. Uh, amongst the people uh, that uh, that really appreciate ceremony and protocol, that's something that I've really been taught and 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 gifted from them. And so it, it was really humbling to see that and to see this important connection through treaty um, uh, kind of playing out in front of me. Well, what was their takeaway from this whole thing? Well, I mean, uh, there's a there's a profound understanding of ceremony and the importance of that. And I think witnessing someone, I mean, so this was a the ceremony itself was uh, was steeped in in the king's faith. He was a he was Christian or is Christian, and so I think seeing someone that regardless of your faith swear an oath based on that faith is a really important thing. And I think that really struck a lot of people. And then someone who is is swearing to serve. Um, and that really touches on a lot of chords uh, regarding treaty and the, those treaty relationships within Canada. And so th that was quite a meaningful thing. And and it was taken that way, from my, guess, uh, for my opinion. Uh, our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Nathan Tidridge, a grade 10, 11 and 12 civics teacher at Waterdown District High School and vice president of the Institute for the Study of the Crown in Canada, uh, in London, England on Saturday for the uh, coronation of King Charles III and, and Queen Camilla as well. Um, what do you think they hope their legacy will be? Uh, honestly, I think a legacy of service. Uh, and, and that was something, I mean, that was the theme of the coronation. And you could really see it, I, I find, in, uh, in kind of the reactions of the king and how he, he took in each of the, the moments of the ceremony, which wasn't really about him, but it was about the, the, this act of service, which is something that I think in our world, that's unusual for us. Uh, we're kind of a me-focused world, an I-focused world. And uh, this definitely was not an I-focused ceremony. And, and I think that's something that's really important to both of them. Of course, Prince William, the immediate heir to the throne, was in attendance with uh, his wife and children. And I can only imagine yeah. what was going on through his mind on Saturday during and, and of course, after the ceremony. What do you think he's thinking about? Uh, yeah, I think he's probably thinking of his, his father. There's some some touching moments between him and his father, but also to his own responsibilities and his 
his own future. I mean, he he's kind of looking at his future right there. So I imagine there's there's quite a lot going on in his mind at that moment. Two members of the royal family who were kept on the sidelines were Prince Harry and Prince Andrew, and, and for good reason from the royal family's perspective. Was the coronation, do you think, a symbolic turning of the page for the royals? I don't know uh, about turning the page. I mean, they, it's always been about service. And so I think uh, as far as the the king, that's going to continue. They, that, that's kind of been his mantra most of his life. And that was certainly the mantra of his of of his mother uh, as far as turning the page i mean if you're if you're thinking um you know prince harry and uh, and prince andrew uh i mean again the ceremony was focused on service and and and, and service before others and so if, if they're not members of the working royal family and so that so the service wasn't really it wasn't really for them was it years from now you're going to be able to say i was there when what do you think you're going to remember the most about saturday's coronation Witnessing the reactions of other people to that, uh, um, particularly the Indigenous delegations that were here. I realized that this was um, a, a really important moment and that uh, there's a lot of, of hope uh, for for Canada right now, for our country, and, and it really rests in the king. And so I really hope that our government um, allows things to develop the way they need to develop and that relationship can can be renewed. Nathan, it was great catching up with you. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be a lasting memory for you and, and the delegation you were with as well. Thanks for joining us and safe travels home as well. Thank you so much, Rick. Take care. Great recap of Saturday's coronation of King Charles III with Nathan Tidridge, a civics teacher at Waterdown District High School. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Pierre Polyev's populism, his slogans and buzzwords are not serious solutions to the serious challenges we're facing. Okay, that is seriously uh, what went down at the Liberal Party National Convention over the weekend as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau delivered the keynote address on Friday. Well, what came up, what came out of this convention in Ottawa? Kim Wright is the founder and principal of Wright Strategies and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kim, good morning. How are you? I'm fantastic. Good morning to you. What highlights, what takeaways are you bringing back from this Liberal Party convention? So there's a couple of parts to this Liberal convention. Yes, conventions are always about, you know, rallying the party faithful and getting people excited for the next campaign. But what the Prime Minister needed to do was also tell rivals who might be uh, ratcheting up their own political machines uh, to succeed him to sit down and cool your jets. It's uh, it's his time and he is, he is right, fired up and ready to go, as they say. And that no matter what has come in before him in Parliament or any place else, uh, he is ready to lead the Liberals in the next election. Is there a sense that people are pushing the Prime Minister to perhaps call it a day? So I think you 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 have seen around Ottawa and other places um, people like Christian Freeland and uh, Minister Champagne and Minister Anon and even you know Minister Freeland out there kind of pulling together their teams. This is nowhere near as Liberals might remember the uh, Jean Chrétien versus Paul Martin you know blood feud civil battle for the heart and soul Liberal Party. But they were certainly making their intentions known if the Prime Minister were to step down that they were ready to take up the mantle. The Prime Minister has very clearly laid down the gauntlet to those folks saying, 
I'm not done yet. And the only person who can take on Pierre Polyev in his mind uh, is, is Justin Trudeau. And so that's what you saw a lot of this weekend. What What is the cost uh, if you don't uh, win that election, but also, you know, showing uh, Hillary Clinton and what's happened in the U.S. with Donald Trump, uh, but also, you know, that he is he is not only uh, willing, but uh, absolutely fired up to take on Pierre Polyev. You mentioned Hillary Clinton, the former U.S. Secretary of State, was a keynote speaker over the weekend. W- what did you make of her involvement? So this is one of those things liberals, liberals in particular, love uh, the love the Clintons, love Hillary Clinton. And, you know, they used it as a cautionary tale uh, that you can have, you know, women leadership and it is not threatening, but also what happens in the U.S. matters and what we've been seeing out of the U.S., whether it be uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, many pieces of legislation, the don't say gay laws out of uh, Florida, many uh, states taking on uh, abortion stances that are contrary to where I think general population would be in, which is frankly endangering women's lives, uh, that this is this is what is to come if you end up electing populists and liberals, liberals in Canada love to uh, trot those out uh, as part of a campaign to say, this is what happens in the U.S. when you elect scary populist conservatives and we will get it here. And so that's uh, it's it's probably a little early to start playing those cards. But what they needed to do internally for the Liberal Party is rally their own base, rally their own riding associations uh, and and make sure that they're fired up and ready to fight that next election. We're talking about the Liberal Party convention over the weekend in Ottawa on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. And our guest is Kim Wright, founder and principal at Wright Strategies. Uh, former, You mentioned him, former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien spoke at uh, this weekend's event. In my mind, he still has it as a speaker. He's very compelling, very engaging. And, you know, Justin Trudeau has a little bit of Chrétien, at least Chrétien the campaigner, in him. Is that what is kind of pushing him forward as well? Yeah, Justin Trudeau, the campaigner, is very different than Justin Trudeau, the prime minister. He is a very fierce campaigner. We saw, uh, Rick, you'll remember a couple of weeks back, you saw a video floating around the internet of some young PPC uh, supporter uh, who was trying to push the prime minister on on, um, women's rights issues. And you know, the, you got that sparkle and magic in his eye a bit of here's how he was going to take on those those hard questions, those faith questions. Uh, and there was a bit of that campaigner Trudeau back out on the campaign trail. Jean Chrétien was very much a fierce campaigner, not so much I didn't necessarily care as much about the day to day of governing, uh, but definitely loved that cut and thrust of the campaign trail. So he was out there saying, look, you can be around for a long time in a government and still be excited about campaigning and governing and 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 taking those swings and that's that that sparkle that magic of those uh, those who came before the Kretchens of the world and even on the conservative side the 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 Brian Mulroney's and even for the new democrats the Ed Broadbent's you listen to those guys those those old school campaigners those great oratories the great storytellers and you kind of go wow we're missing that a bit in politics uh but 
it's uh, it, it was good to bring to bring them out, and it rallied the base, which is all you want to do in a in a convention setting. What do you think the Liberals' focus is between now and the next election, whenever that is, whether it's twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five? And do you think that focus will be somewhat sidetracked by this whole foreign interference fiasco? Well, it continues to be sidetracked, and I think people have some serious concerns, and rightfully so, about what was known. How many parliamentarians were were targeted by uh, by foreign interference, and what is the government doing about it going forward? And I don't think we have clear answers on how we are how we are safeguarding our elections. Uh, what we've been finding out over the last few weeks is it went from those are scurrilous allegations that have no basis in reality to um, we've had some targeted uh, families being targeted of various. Uh, members of parliament, Michael Chong's family in particular. We've had some writings that may or may not have been impacted. So I think what we need to see before the House rises for the summer recess is the prime minister being very committed to getting to the bottom of this to show Canadians that our elections are indeed safe and what are those safeguards in place and what are we going to do to protect parliamentarians and those running from off for office from being impacted by foreign influence. And if he doesn't do that, that is going to dog him throughout the campaign. Agreed. Kim, let's leave it there. Thank you for your time today and enjoy the day. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Kim Wright, founder and principal of Wright Strategies here on Good Morning Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the deadline to submit non-binding offers to buy the Ottawa Senators is actually this coming Sunday. And it is apparently a hot commodity. Canadian musician The Weeknd, we just heard, has joined a bid to purchase the Ottawa Senators. Why is this small market National Hockey League team grabbing the attention of some of the wealthiest entertainers? Because the weekend isn't the only one. Ryan Reynolds, as you probably heard, wants a piece of the action. Snoop Dogg, also part of another bid. Moshe Lander is a senior economics lecturer at Concordia University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Moshe, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. So we have weekend Ryan Reynolds Snoop Dogg involved in bids to buy the Sens. Why the sudden interest from all these celebrities? I'm even thinking of getting involved in a bit. You know what? Um, there's 32 professional teams in the NHL and the NFL, 30 professional teams in baseball and the NBA. So that's a total of 124 teams. And not all of these 124 teams come up for sale regularly but all 124 teams go up in value substantially. The owners right now of the Senators is the Melnick family. They bought it for about a tenth of what they're going to sell it for, and that's after holding it for less than 20 years. That's an amazing return on investment. And so I think a lot of people uh, in the arts will say uh, that want to be athletes find that this is an easy vehicle. And remember, they're, they're not going to be the, the majority shareholder or anything. They're, they're just going to buy some portion of their way in uh, to get access to something that's very, very limited. Is this good for the National Hockey League? It's always good when you have owners that are committed to the product. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, the, the Ryan Reynolds group uh, is probably the most attractive to the NHL because uh, we've seen what Ryan Reynolds has done for fifth division English soccer uh, in creating content for Netflix. And he's already indicated that he wants to do something similar uh, with the Sens if he somehow gets into the ownership group. 
that ability to provide access, especially uh, with the building of a new arena, which is going to be part of the the first steps that a, a new ownership group takes on, is going to be extremely attractive. And if, if he can bring eyes to the NHL, not just the Sens, the, the NHL will love that. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds and his fifth division uh, English soccer team is going to be playing Manchester United in America. And it's going to be shown, obviously, on, on TV. And that's kind of the poll uh, that he has. And I'm sure the NHL is looking at that saying, hmm, we can get a part of that. L- let me ask you this. We know that athletes themselves have become celebrities in their own right. You know, Michael Jordan was the first to... Uh, own an NBA franchise, LeBron James on his way to doing that if he wants if he wants to do so in the not too distant future, with mega sports contracts and endorsements, um, are we only going to see more of this? I don't know that we're necessarily going to see more of it. Um, we're going to see as much as ownership groups are willing to entertain, unintended. You know, Jay Z was probably the most high profile owner uh, up until let's say this go round. Uh, but I, I think that his ownership stake in the in the Nets, in the NBA, was half of 1%. So, you know, there's some owners there that just jealously guard the 100% control they have and do not want to share it with anybody. Uh, and there's some that are more willing to share out uh, the spoils if they realize that what they share out can bring extra value if and when it comes time to, to sell. How big of a factor is this whole attractiveness of the senators um, due to the fact that they're also getting a new arena as part of this whole ownership change and and downtown arena project. It's attractive, but I think it would be more attractive if the arena were done um, and about to open. Uh, Calgary has gone through an eight-year bruising battle, and I'm not entirely convinced that that battle is over uh, since they've now tied it to the the politics of a, a provincial election. Uh, you know, if the ownership comes and now has to get down to the actual bit of negotiating uh, where the arena is going to be and how much money is going to come from the public purse, actually getting the construction done on time, uh, that can be a lengthy process, especially because the the site that they've targeted in Ottawa is federal land. Uh, so now you got to bring another level of government into it. And Ottawa has this history of cost overruns and delays. And the one of the attractions is that the site is going to tie to their O train, their their light rail transit system, and that seems to be plagued as well by uh, all kinds of issues. So, you know, it could be a real headache. It would make for great Netflix content, uh, but it, the the value of the franchise will go up once the arena is open, not once they decide to to move it. Yeah, I can't wait to watch the Netflix series. Moshe, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for your time today. Enjoy your day. Anytime. Moshe Lender is a senior economics lecturer at Concordia University. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.